0: Glory to God, hallelujah. Hello, everyone, everywhere. This is Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Glory to God. It is such a joy and a blessing to come to you wherever you are. You know, through the miracle of the internet, God has created a way for not just me, but ministers everywhere who have a calling to preach this gospel to the world. We no longer have to take two- and three-month trips and visit one group of people at a time every couple of days and spend tens of thousands of dollars to come and hold revivals. We can minister to the masses through the miracle of the Internet without leaving our home offices or home Offices in our homes, uh, whatever the case may be, because the word of God is that precious. We need to share it with every person that has ears to hear. You know, you can say, "Well, brother Bob, this internet thing, you know, it's not really very popular in, you know, the Middle East and in Africa and all that." You are so wrong. One of the things they desire is their own computer or their own smartphone, not so they can call home, but so they can hear the Word of God. They're seeking ways to hear the Word. We have reports of of groups, 30, 50 at a time, gathering around a computer just to listen to the broadcast, not just my broadcast. We have 29 different broadcasters on Evangelism Radio. I've received emails from some of the pastors that I am familiar with over in the Middle East. I'm not going to mention their names to protect their identity. But they tell me that people are gathering together and they want me to do Skype calls for them so they can actually see me as I'm preaching. But the word of God is what's accomplishing the will of God. Because we are living in the last days. That's very evident from everything going on. You know, here in America, immorality, I was going to say morality, but immorality has abounded. It's abounded to the point where now you can get arrested and thrown in jail for sharing the gospel on certain college campuses, in certain areas of certain towns. And that's in America. We have reports of people in Canada and England and France, pastors who have actually been sentenced to prison for preaching what the Bible has to say about homosexuality. We have come to the point in this world, it does not matter what country you are from. I mean, we have reports in the Middle East of ISIS killing in a horrific manner after torturing them in ungodly ways, unimaginable ways, where now two-thirds of the Christians in the Middle East, between two-thirds and three-quarters, are either dead or have fled for their life. That's the point we are at in this world right now. And in this nation, we have had seven years of a president that embraces Islam and does whatever he can to discredit Christianity. We have reached a point in the United States Where God, technically, according to the scripture, could leave us to our own devices. But there are some godly people, pastors and churches and others, who are praying for revival in America. We're one of them. Amen. But do they really know what they're praying for? And We're gonna go over that a little bit today. If you have your Bible, you can turn to 2nd Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14 A lot of churches a lot of pastors a lot of Christians are praying this prayer But we're gonna look at what it really means For the United States of America Amen, but first let's go to the Lord with a word of prayer Father in the name of of Jesus We come before your throne this day That we may obtain mercy for ourselves our families and this nation and the world that we may obtain mercy and find Your grace father that will help us in our time of need father we give you praise and honor and glory this morning that your word goes throughout all the earth through the miracle of the internet that you created for this use satan has corrupted it he's corrupted the the minds of men and corrupting the internet but in the name of jesus we take it back You said, Lord, that you would give to me the internet. I take it by faith. I possess it by faith. I use it by faith. And by faith, I preach the word of the Most High God into all the earth. And by faith, Evangelism Radio reaches into the far corners of the earth with listeners that are locking themselves in their private homes, in their private rooms, in their private closets, and they are hearing the uncompromised truth of the Word of God. They're being set free. Free, no matter what their circumstances are and in Jesus name, they're getting born again into the kingdom of God And it doesn't matter what nation on the earth they are part of they are citizens of the kingdom of the most high God would they receive Jesus as their Savior glory to God hallelujah. We're about to have revival right here. Praise God hallelujah in Jesus name Amen glory to God Oh Thank You Holy Spirit for that The Holy Spirit has set the stage for what we're going to study today. Amen. Let's go one step further by faith right now and Recite with me what's commonly referred to as the Apostles Creed. We call it our statement our foundation of faith Amen, we're laying that solid foundation Just repeat this after me I believe in God the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth and in Jesus Christ his only Son our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified dead And buried he descended into hell and the third day he rose again from the dead he ascended into heaven and sits now at the right hand of God the Father Almighty from where he is coming soon to judge the living and to judge the dead I believe in the Holy Spirit I believe the church is the body of Christ. I believe in the communion of saints. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the resurrection of the body. And I believe in life everlasting in Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right. Have you found 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 yet? I want to tell you a story as we get started. During my research, I came across this, and it's really an inspiring story. In 1904, there was a young ministry student named Evan Roberts, and he began to feel that God was sending an urgent message that he was going to pour out a mighty spirit a revival on Wales, which is now part of Great Britain. And Roberts began attending various revival meetings, seeking the Lord, seeking the move of his spirit. And during one, he was deeply moved by the Holy Spirit. And as he prayed at the altar, he cried out to God, Bend me, Lord, bend me. He had a complete and total surrender of his will to God's will. Now, Robert soon returned to his home church. He wanted to preach the message of revival, but his pastor was reluctant to allow him to speak. I've ran into that a few times. Amen. In a compromise, the pastor announced that Roberts would be speaking following the regular prayer meeting, and anyone who wished to stay were welcome. Well, out of the church, only 17 people stayed to hear even Roberts speak. And most of them, the majority of them, were teenagers or very young adults. And Avon Roberts spoke in that church for nearly two hours after the regular church service. And all he had was a simple four-point message that he was convinced could help God bring revival to his nation. One, confess all your known sin to God. Two, deal with and get rid of of any doubtful area of your life. Talk about your spiritual life. Be, number three, be ready to obey the Holy Spirit instantly. In other words, as we pray, have ears to hear and a heart to perceive and a will to obey. And number four, confess Christ publicly. We have too many shadow Christians. We have too many closet Christians. To confess Christ publicly means to take your place. Regardless of what the cost, regardless of what man may say, you need to take your place, take your stand. You've heard me say before, Jesus died publicly on that cross in a shameful crucifixion. We have no right, absolutely no right, to accept him privately by checking a little box and dropping it in the offering plate. So that the only ones who know that we were sinners and we prayed that prayer will be the pastor and his associate. I don't want everyone in church to think that I was a sinner. Folks, get over yourself. Jesus died a humiliating death publicly for everybody to see. His resurrection was shown only to his followers initially. Amen when he returns to take his followers out of the earth before total cataclysmic events abound, it will be a private showing also. But then, according to Revelations and according to all the scriptures, he will return publicly for everyone to see that he is Lord of lords and king of kings. Amen. So do you want to accept him publicly? Or should you accept him privately and not let your neighbor know that you got born again? To be born again, a fresh life, A new beginning. Why would you want to keep that secret? You see, some of this uh, purpose-driven church movement, they take the cross out of churches. They darken the lights and make it into a big stage show. They preach smooth things. And they have you check the block on a card to accept Christ as your Savior. Because they don't want to embarrass anyone by having them come forward. And if you need prayer, go over to the corner where we have a curtained off area and our prayer people will will pray with you privately over there. I'm trying to think of even one instance in the Bible where Jesus told someone, come over here privately. There is one place where he took a blind man and led him away privately, it said, from the crowd. But the reason for that was not Because the blind man was embarrassed to be seen by the crowd. Jesus took him aside privately because he was getting ready to leave. He'd been preaching all day. He was totally exhausted. And then this blind man comes up and says he wants to see. Jesus never, not one time, Jesus never, refused to heal any person that came to him. There was some people that he came to that they did not receive their healings. But those that came to him, he healed 100%. And this instance, there was something going on in that crowd where they weren't receiving the way that you know, the Holy Spirit desire, and this man came to him, and Jesus knew if he healed this guy in front of this crowd, they weren't going to receive it as a miracle. But this man had faith. He came to Jesus by faith and asked to be healed. So Jesus took him aside from the crowd, spit on the dirt, put, you know, prayed on his eyes and all that, and Said, what do you see? He said, I see men walking his trees. Jesus prayed for him a second time. That doesn't mean the first time didn't work. It means the devil was trying to hold on to this man. And when Jesus prayed the second time, this man said, I can see everything clearly. You see, Jesus never fails to hear a prayer. Why would we want to accept him privately? Because we're too embarrassed to walk the aisle. You know, when someone's being, their heart is being prompted by the Holy Spirit, this preaching's for you. Listen to this, Pastor. This preaching's for you. And then the invitation's given. The Holy Spirit's already been working on the heart. Most people if you will really interview them right after they get born again publicly will tell you when they first started coming down the aisle they didn't even know they were moving they could have been in the middle seat of a you know back in the middle section of the church that's packed and somehow some way before they even realized that they were in the aisle walking down towards the altar And then everyone's looking at them. It's too late to stop and sit down. The whole, the, the, the Satan is telling them, What are you doing? Hey, what are you doing? Look at everybody. Look at you, fool. You've been going to this church for three years now. And here you are going down to accept an invitation. What are they going to think? And he's trying to talk them out of completing that walk but they have to walk that walk by faith. Just like the Romans led Jesus through the streets of Jerusalem to the cross. Public humiliation for Jesus. But you are in a church full of believers. They rejoice like the angels in heaven... Every time someone gets born again. You don't believe me? Think about these purpose-driven churches that have the little check-the-block salvation plan. And they announce on Sunday, last Sunday we had eight people receive Christ as Savior. People start clapping. Yay-ha! They're happy people got born again. How much more rejoicing would there be if those eight people walked the aisle, prayed the prayer, received Jesus right there? I mean, it would prove to everyone else watching the word works every time. Instead of writing on the little card if you need prayer, and our prayer team will pray over it this week. If you, if you announce, if you need prayer, come down to the front. And you get cripples or blind people or those that have cancer. Come down to the front. I have seen and I've heard a whole lot more where someone was diagnosed stage 4 cancer. These were unbelievers. uh, Let me put it like this. They were Catholic, not living as Catholics, if you know what I mean. They thought their faith was in being Catholic instead of being saved. Stage four, in the hospital, nothing they can do. My wife and I went and prayed for this lady, ministering the gospel to him. We weren't there more than 10 or 15 minutes. Three days later, she's released to go home. Cancer's in remission. Amen? What is wrong with doing that publicly? When Jesus died publicly, he did it for you as well as me. He did it for me as well as our next door neighbor. He did it for the entire world. John three sixteen. God gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe would receive the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. So here in America, we are at the point right now. There is... No purpose in the purpose driven church. There is no rationale to worship silently, worship privately, seek God privately. Let your faith be known. Amen. Well, I kind of got off topic a little bit. Let's get back to our story. Glory to God. Remember Ian Robert, or even Roberts. Pastor wouldn't let him preach in church, but he allowed him to have a, another meeting, t- you know, right after church. 17 young people stayed there. He preached for two hours. Confess all known sin to God. Deal with and get rid of any doubtful area in your life. Be ready to obey the Holy Spirit instantly. And number four, confess Christ publicly. That's what we just harped on. When Roberts was finished speaking, all, every single one of the 17 young people ran to the altar on their knees, cried out to God. So that's what preaching the word will do. They continued praying until 2 a.m., 2 o'clock in the morning. And that was the beginning of one of the greatest moves of God recorded in all of history. By the end of that week, because of sharing the gospel, Those 17 people, 60 people were won to Christ. And over the next 18 months, revival hit the nation of Wales where over 1 million people were led to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Glory to God. The revival was so great that the entire culture of the nation changed drastically economic problems abounded what well, brother Bob if there is a sweep of God why would there be economic problems? there is a whole range of bankruptcies that took place after all these people got born again well, brother Bob that's not good oh yeah all the taverns and liquor stores went out of business they didn't have any clients anymore glory to God Work at the coal mines, it was recorded, came to a standstill. Why? Were they protesting? No. The mules who pulled the wagons were so accustomed to reacting to and hearing the foul language of the workers that after the men got saved, the mules didn't recognize their voices or commands because they had stopped cussing so much. Amen. The entire police force in the nation was dismissed and laid off for 18 months because there was no crime. Hello, Chicago. Are you hearing what I'm saying out there? Oh, how different our cities are today. One of the few court cases that was actually brought before a judge during this time was unusual. The defendant came into the court and admitted his guilt to the judge, pled guilty. The judge led the man to Christ, and the jury closed the case by singing a hymn because the person who committed the crime wasn't there anymore. Amen. I wonder what 2020 would do or. 48 hours or 60 minutes would do with that one today. Judge so-and-so preaching the gospel from the bench and then let the criminal go after he pled guilty. Saying it wasn't the same person that committed the crime. Huh. The revival that whale, the nation of Wales, which was Great Britain, made its way across the Atlantic and swept through parts of New York and New Jersey. There was even a daily column in the New York Times called Today's Converts that listed every person who was born again and got saved at these revivals by name. Amen. Well, times have really changed now, hasn't it? For the worse, I might add. And we have to... Admit that our world is nothing like the world was in 1904. I would have to agree our world is a much darker, more sinister place where revival seems almost impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Amen? And all things are possible to who? Me. Because I'm a believer. Glory to God. That's why we do these broadcasts. That's why we put the work in to make sure that we are empowering these other 29 broadcasters to impact this world with the gospel. Amen. It's just this is some nilly-willy, you know, hobby and, you know, well, I I don't really feel like preaching today. I think, oh, I want to go get drunk
1: instead.
0: No, this is the life. This is the most important aspect of my life and these other broadcasters' lives is sharing the saving grace of God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And his soon return is on the horizon. It's almost here. And you are running out of time, running from God. There is coming the day when in the Flash of an eye. Boom. That fast. Almost a third of this planet will disappear. There's almost, there's estimated there's two billion Christians on the face of, face of the earth. Out of seven, a little over seven billion. Two billion will instantly disappear. And then the remaining politicians... They're going to have to struggle to try and explain They're going to come up with all sorts of theories. But the book of Revelation says, during this next seven years after that takes place, another two billion will die. And it alludes to nuclear holocaust. And then out of the three billion that remain, some will get born again. They will see it. They'll be listening to these recordings that have been left behind. They'll be reading the books that have been left behind. They're going to recognize it for what it was. And they will endure even if it means their death, which will happen. Out of the other three billion, another billion will be executed Because of the faith in Jesus Christ. But they're not seeking life on this earth. They're seeking eternal life in heaven. And as they die, they're going to be thanking Jesus for saving them. And as that sword's thrust through, or they cut off their head, which is in the book of Revelation, identifying who the Antichrist is going to be using... It's ISIS, the Muslims. Those who refuse to reject Christ but stand firm in the faith as they are executed. The Bible says Jesus tasted death for every man. That means we do not have to experience death. So as we're being run through with a sword or our head chopped off, There's no pain involved. Instantly, we look, and in the twinkling of an eye, we're standing in the presence of Jesus. Hallelujah. That day is here. That day is here. It may not be today, but the season is here. Right now, at the time of this recording, uh, we're springtime here in the United States getting ready to enter summer in about six, seven weeks. The trees are budding. That's how we know summer is near, the Bible says. We may not know the day nor the hour, but we will know the season when all these things are about to happen, and it's getting ready to happen right now. Amen? Glory to God. Let me ask you this what about god has changed from 1904 that we were just talking about to today what part of the power of christ's resurrection has diminished between then and now what part of the holy spirit's work has changed our churches especially in america and and especially especially I think, double negative or something there. I don't know. I'm not a grammar major. But in England, these churches are almost completely empty. You can go into a church in England on Sunday morning when the worship service is supposed to be going on, and there might be a handful of people And the church is designed to hold two, three, four, five hundred people. And instead, you got two, three, four, five in attendance. It's estimated that there is, in England right now, between one and two percent Christians. Active, church-going Christians in that nation. In the United States, the estimate is, is between seventy and seventy-five percent of Americans now say they are Christians. But when you uh, take these same people and ask them if they attend church at least three times a month, that means you're giving them one week off. Even you know in the survey, twenty-two or twenty-three percent attend church three or more times a week. What happened to the other 50% of believers? The same thing that happened in the 2008 and 2012 elections. They stayed home. Didn't want to waste my time down there. And look where America's at today. Amen. But if God can bring revival through 17 people, young people that receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit, if God can bring revival through them in 1904, or any other time for that matter, he can do it here in America right now. Amen? We are in desperate times, folks. We need desperately a movement of Almighty God. And no one, no one seems to realize, oh, there's a few pockets here and there. But as a majority, the Christians in America are lazy. They want other people to pray. They want other people to take responsibility for bringing revival to this land. You hear people and pastors and churches talk about, God, send revival to America again. But why should he? We just spent the past four weeks talking about why God is ready to judge America. All the different reasons why God should ignore America all the different reasons why God should disown America, all the different reasons why judgment should fall on America. Why should he send revival to America again? Is he hearing our prayer requests for revival? Are we truly asking him, to send revival. How are we showing him we are ready for revival? You know, when you discipline your children, let's say uh, little Johnny doesn't want to share his toys, so you discipline him and you tell him you can't play with your red truck until you tell little Timmy you're sorry for hitting him or whatever it was. And he stands there and says, I'm sorry. Now, do you truly think he's sorry? Or did he just say what you told him to say because he thought it'd get him by? The same thing holds true for the Christians and so-called Christians and so-called churches in America that are saying the right things but they're not really believing them. How are we going to show God that we are truly ready for revival? Well, that's what brought this study aboard. You know, That's why we're doing this. And if you turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles 7.14, we're going to look at some of the conditions that God places on the outpouring of revival. All right? So the... The second Chronicles seven fourteen. Oh, praise God. Make sure I got the right page here. Second Chronicles I was in six. Okay. Seven fourteen. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and then will I forgive their sin and then I will heal their land. I put a couple extra then's in there for emphasis. First of all, God is looking for people to revive, isn't he? If my people, not if people in America will pray no he says my people these are those who are already born again it is not going to take a nationwide sweep of 330 million people to simultaneously pray if let's remember the Remember the statistic I just gave you? Let's say 75% of Americans. Where's my calculator? 75% of Americans of 330 million people are claiming to be Christian. That's 247,500,000 professed Christians. But yet out of that, 25%, which would make it 61,875,000 are truly born again using these statistics. It's not going to take the 330 million. It's not going to take the 275 million. It will take the 61 million. And as a percentage, we'll just might as well do this. That's 18%. Almost 19%. We'll call it 20. How about that? Easy numbers. If 20% of the people in America would pray this prayer earnestly by what we call from the bottom of our hearts, truly believing... God would hear the prayer and spare this land. He said so. Amen? So, you know, God is looking for someone who wants to be revived. You know, we talk about holding revival at church. How can I say this nicely? Revival does not mean the same thing as it did a hundred years ago. A hundred years ago, if you were having revival, it was the pastor's attempt to bring spiritual renewal to his town and community. The plan might be the same in today's American churches. But how many of these churches with today's modern transportation systems? You see, back 100 years ago, there might be a population of 2,000 people in this town. It might have four churches, five churches tops. And 90% of the people were going to church. So when a church held revival for their community, 90% of the people were going to turn out. And it was designed to spiritually renew the energy being used in that community serving God. Well, now we hold revival, and within a 15-minute drive of, we we'll just use our area here as an example, a 15-minute drive, we could have access to half a million people. Let's be very conservative. 50,000 people. And we're going to hold revival in our church. And let's say it's a five-day revival or a week-long revival. The first day of revival, you might have, you know, you're going to start Sunday night right after church. I mean, you know, church during the day. And then Sunday night begins the revival. And it's going to run all the way through Saturday night. Every night you're going to have a revival. Who usually attends members of the church? And the first night, let's say there's 200 people that attend church. The first night there might be 120 people there. Monday night. 80. Tuesday night 50. Wednesday night because that's the night we're supposed to go to church. Anyway, you might have 120 again. Thursday night, maybe 40. Friday night, maybe 30. Saturday night, well we'll get a few more because this is the last night. You might hit 80 or 90. But you're not going to get all 200 involved. Why? Because they don't see themselves as needing revival. And it's just the church that's attending. A very few non-church members will attend a revival. You have to leave the four walls of your church. You need to go out into the community to get true revival. Whole public park meetings. Yes, there's a lot of effort involved in that instead of just opening the doors to the church. But are you really trying to reach your section of America for spiritual revival? Amen. God says he's looking for somebody to revive. If my people. If we belong to God, we should be doing what He says. Jesus said I do no works by myself. I only do what I hear my Father do, or I'm sorry, I only do what I see my Father do, and I only say what I hear him say. The if in Second Chronicles seven fourteen if my people, the if here is the beginning of the conditions that God is looking for to be met before he will even act. Now, that does not mean that some citizen can cry out to God, drunk as a skunk in the gutter, and says, oh God, save me, forgive me. It's not saying God will not answer those prayers. He will immediately answer those prayers. We're talking about sending Revival a major revival to America amen this Has to be met this if has to be met before God will do anything It's clear that he is issuing a conditional promise to the born-again Christians do these things and I will act God has an expectation of specific things before these things need to happen before he will bring revival. These promises are only for those who place their complete trust, which is called what? Faith in God. God is speaking here in 2 Chronicles 7.14. God is speaking directly to the believers. Nobody else. God's not talking to 330 million Americans. He's talking mainly to the, what was it, 61 million true Christians in America. He's talking only to the believers. In America or whatever nation you are in you might be living in Pakistan, and you are only Representing representing five percent of your population. He is only talking to you the five percent He's not talking to the 95 percent Muslims that have you know once they get born again then revive no if you are only 5% of the population of your country. God's talking to you if you're a believer. This is not an American gospel. Jesus was not an American to the shock of many Americans. Jesus was not a United States citizen to the shock of many Americans. Amen. Jesus was not white with blue eyes and Blondish brown hair. He looks more. Uh, I'm, I'm not even going to get into that. He. <laughs> okay, Lord. <laughs> Jesus was chuckling right there. He said, go ahead and tell him. I said, all right. He had an olive gold complexion. If you took someone from the nation of India. That is about the complexion of Jesus. He didn't have this European features to him. Amen? Where did that come from? That came from the Catholic Church in Rome. Jesus was not white. Let's just get that out of your system right now. I'll probably get some hate mail on that one. But truth is truth. Amen. If you can't handle it, what are you going to do when you get to heaven? Amen. Anyway, we must understand that revival in 2nd Chronicles 7:14, this is an exclusive deal that God offers only to his people. We often forget that the work of revival always begins with God's people first. Why? Why, Brother Bob? Why is that? Well, God must first renew his people before the real work of winning the world can take place. You see, the work of revival must begin with God's own people but is never meant to stop with God's own people. And that is the problem you often see in churches today. They'll hold, like we said, a week-long meeting, a week-long revival or something like that. But usually it's only their church folk coming out. They do not convince their neighbors to come to church. They don't drag people off the street or co-workers. I mean, after all, we don't want to be pushy and labeled as a wacko or something. Revival, in order for revival to be long-lasting and to truly make an impact on our nation and the world, we as Christians must Reach outside the four walls of the church. We cannot just keep inside our own little clique and excluding everybody else. Oh God, bless our four and no more. The church. What is a term that's used to describe a church building? Often it's called a sanctuary. And that has such a spiritual term to it. Let us go into the sanctuary. What is a sanctuary? You know, we have bird sanctuaries and wildlife sanctuaries. What is a sanctuary? It's a place where these specific birds are kept safe or specific animals are kept safe. So a sanctuary of a church is a place where the people of God can go and feel safe. It is not the place for soul winning and witnessing and all that. It is a place where we can come and you should be entering a spirit, of revival every Sunday because you're so burned out witnessing the people during the week. Now on Sunday you come back to get revived so Monday morning you can go right back to it. That's the purpose for the church. You know, the first Christians had to hide out in caves and things like that. Met in private homes, and it was all secret. Because as they met together privately like that, secretly, they felt safe. Because they were amongst their own brethren. If they would have just kept the gospel to themselves, it would have died out when the last one died. But no, the church was growing rapidly because the disciples and the born-again believers wouldn't stop talking about the resurrection of Jesus. Amen. Why do we think we're different and the requirements for revival are different than what was taking place back then? Back in 2 Chronicles 7.14 again, it says, if my people, we, we harped on that, who are called by my name, God calls us out from among the world. Being a Christian means that we are meant to stand apart, stand separate from the rest of the world. The rest of the world can see you are a Christian. The rest of the world will look and see How God blesses you and takes care of you and provides for you. But if you want to look like the rest of the world, expect to receive the rest of the world's punishment. All this come as you are, church, yeah, that's okay. The idea, the concept behind it is the same. But let me ask you this. If you received an invite to have dinner, with the President of the United States in the White House, would you come wearing shorts, flip-flops, and some disgusting t-shirt? Or would you dress nice? Well, I mean, Brother Bob, after all, you're going to the White House. Hello! We're going to the very throne of the Most High God! the concept behind come as you are was invented by this purpose-driven church crowd to appeal to those on the outside. Well, come to church. Well, I don't have nothing to wear. Just wear what you want. It doesn't matter. We're a cool church, man. We're hip. Yeah. We got lattes and donuts and things like that. you know, they're trying to get people in. But you should not leave in the same condition that you came in. If you are a come-as-you-are church and you have people dressing like they're going to a picnic every single Sunday, you got to question whether or not they're really saved. I mean that I'm speaking that in love, but I know I'll step on some toes, but get over it. I have a desire to be my best in God's presence. My best is like filthy rags. I understand that, but that doesn't mean I have to wear filthy rags to church. Amen. We must live differently, dress differently, talk differently than the world, because we value different things. We value an eternal promise, and we value a different lifestyle. That's where the Catholics fall short, because they believe they can go and say their confession, receive repentance or repentance or whatever they call that stuff, and they're good for another week. They'll go right back to cussing and drinking and All the other things. We are called, folks, to be a holy priesthood where every believer carries the responsibility for ministry. Every believer. Not just the pastor or the elders board or whatever. We're called to be witnesses for Christ in this world and to share his truth and boldly Seek and use his power to spread the gospel. We are to be known by a new name. Whenever a person comes to Christ, they are a new creation. Glory to God. And are given the opportunity from that moment on to live a transformed, eternal life. When we come to Christ, we need to become associated with his name. We become a Christian. Little Christ, every single person who claims to know Jesus either lists his name up or tears it down in the eyes of the world. Amen. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Oh, Lord, time's just flying by. Next, we must look to God to be revived. He says, if my people will humble themselves. Why does God desire... For his people to humble themselves. The word humble means to be in submission. To live in a state of constant surrender. When we humble ourselves, we are literally saying to God, You, God, are in control of my life. To be humble means to be brought low. Remember that simple prayer that even Roberts prayed? Bend me, O Lord. When we humble ourselves before God, we're allowing him to bend us. To his will. What happens when God bends us? I don't have time to turn to each of these scriptures. But you need to write them down and remember them when you do your Bible study. Bending. Number one. Bending opens us to his guidance. That's Psalms 25 verse 9. Bending allows us to know the grace of God. Proverbs 3 verse 34. Bending gives us a gentle heart. Matthew 11 29. Bending leads us to true greatness, Matthew 23, 12. Bending gives us spiritual garments, 1 Peter 5, 5. And bending gives way to eternal glory, Philippians 2, verse 8. Once we allow God to bend us, we cannot remain the same. It's impossible to remain the same. He says, if my people will humble themselves and pray... One of the key principles of revival is a concerted effort to pray. When we pray, we are bringing our lives to intersect with God in the moment that we meet God. And when we meet God in prayer, something amazing happens. He pours himself into our lives. We begin speaking his words. And his words begin to come to pass. That's why prayer is so absolutely essential to experiencing revival. Amen? Prayer is the foundation of a growing relationship with God. And without prayer, that relationship will never grow. We ah. We need to go deeper with God if we ever want to experience true revival in our personal life. Each and every day, we make a decision to either build up that relationship with God or to settle for the status quo of where we are now in our relationship with God. You see, the principle of prayer is supposed to flow out of the new testament church i mean in acts 14 you see prayer needs to be a continuous aspect of the church prayer was a major part of the life of the early church acts 242 shows us that prayer is vital to seeing god display his power and greatness that's in acts chapter 4 verse 31 I would venture to say that, at least in America, the church is lacking in all of those areas. Amen. Does that offend you? Good. Because I meant it to. I'm not here to try to tickle your ears and make you feel good. Especially if you're a preacher listening to me. When's the last time you canceled your sermon series? When's the last time you canceled the praise and worship and just spent two hours in a prayer service? When is the last time you called for a week of special prayer meetings? When's the last time did you actually have someone come forward during the service because they needed prayer? When's the last time you prayed for someone's healing and they received it instantly, in church, publicly? If you cannot answer any of those questions, perhaps you, pastor, you, preacher, need to spend some quality time before the Lord in prayer yourself. Amen. Go ahead, write me your letters. I don't care. That's from the Holy Spirit. Amen. You see, revival is nothing more than God stepping into his relationship with you and filling you with his presence and his power in a fresh way that that you haven't experienced before. If you are not developing that kind of relationship with God, you will never experience personal revival. Amen. Back to 2 Chronicles 7, 4, My people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. The Hebrew word for seek means to intend to find or to deeply desire. In essence, to seek something from God means to first have the deep desire to see it happen and then actively And persistently pursue it. One of the major reasons why churches in America never see a movement of God is because they don't want it. Not bad enough. There is a personal price that has to be paid in finding revival. It's opening yourself to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And then obeying and doing what the Holy Spirit says. Like I said, it may not mean preaching a sermon for a few weeks. Or even turning it over to another ministry church. Or turning it over to a youth pastor. Just listen to God. Do what he says. He'll tell you what to do to bring revival to your church. And it may mean, Pastor, that you need to get out of the pulpit. For a brief period of time. In 1904, those young people from even Robert's home church wanted to see revival so badly. They stayed at the church and prayed until 2 a.m. We struggle to gather a handful of people to pray for an hour once a month, if that. Most people will become restless in their seats if the preacher goes 10 minutes over the usual length of time that he goes. The church today does not see God moving, it's because we stop seeking Him. God said these words to Jeremiah, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Amen. We will only truly find God and his reviving power when we really and truly desire that which only he can give us. Once that desire is there, then we have to pursue it with everything we are. If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Oh, amen. This is going to make some people mad today. When even Robert spoke to those young people, his first challenge to them was to confess any known sin they had to God. Revival will never happen in your life until you let go of your past sin. Sin is nothing more than pure bondage, and it holds you in place like a chain wrapped around your body. Why is it that God desires confession? Why? I'm not talking about Catholic confession. I'm talking about between you and God. Confession is a realization of wrongdoing that's all most children get themselves into trouble from time to time when your kids get themselves into trouble and have to be punished how many of you ask them if they know what they did was wrong once you realize something is God all-knowing yes he is so what does that mean when you confess your sins to him When you confess your sins is not when God found out about them. It's when you get rid of them. Amen? Hallelujah. We are God's children. And confession is merely telling God that it is what you've done you know is wrong. When we confess that, we are admitting the fact we have done wrong and we know it's wrong. And confession will renew your relationship with God. You see, God cannot work through sinful living. It's impossible. God can only move in our lives when the path has been cleared out of the way. When we confess our sins to God, that's a type of clearing of the path that now allows God to move because when we confess, he's faithful to forgive us and cleanse our lives. Confession also seeks God's assistance. When we confess our sin to God, and it's allowing him to take the chains that bind us off our back and set us free, God never forces us to do anything we don't want to do. But when we confess, we are asking for his help, and he sends us help. What was it that made that Welsh revival so powerful and so successful for the kingdom of Christ? It had nothing to do with even Robert's eloquence and his ability to deliver powerful sermons. It had nothing to do with the length or the frequency of his prayers. Even though all that may have been important, I believe that revival took place because even Robert's prayed for God to bend him, to use him. This prayer was the product of a deep hunger for more of God and more of what only God could do It was a submission to the complete purpose and plan of God Almighty. And that power came from reckless abandoning of self and an absolute embracing of what God had the desire to do. Amen. This morning, I firmly believe that God has the desire to bring revival to the American church again. The only question that really remains is, do you have the desire to be revived? If you want to experience personal revival today, today is the day you need to seek God. If you want to see a corporate revival in your church, today is the day you need to seek the Holy Spirit. If you want your community and your city to see an outpouring of mighty power. Today is the day you need to seek Jesus. If God is tugging at your heart right now, then it is time for you to come forward and seek his power from on high. Amen. He will, he will, I emphasize, he will forgive you of all your sins every single one let me ask you this this will get ready to close the old testament prophets had jesus died on the cross yet nope so did jesus dying on the cross forgive them of all their sins yes so they had faith that god through the messiah would forgive all their sins past. And when he died on the cross, he forgave the Roman soldiers Said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So he's forgiving sins in the present. And did he die for you and for me? Yes. So he was dying for someone in the future. Hadn't even been conceived of yet. Wasn't even a thought on the national census. But he still died for those future sins. So Jesus will take care of Of your past, present, and future sins. If you allow him to. And doing so will bring revival to your life, your community, and this nation. Just pray this prayer with me right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for loving me so much that you gave Jesus for me. And Jesus, I accept your sacrifice as of my own. And I ask you right now to become Lord over my life. I invite you to come into my heart and create in me that new man that loves God. Use me, Lord Jesus. Bend me, God, to do your will that revival will come to my life, my community, and this nation. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. If you prayed that prayer, email me at Brother Bob and let me know amen we so desire to hear from you read second chronicles 714 in light of that till next time it's pastor bob to remind you be blessed in all that you do
1: you have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's ftfm.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed.